0: Hello! Welcome to the pilot episode of the Unlikely Testimonial Podcast. My name is Hannah. And my name is Emma. And we will be your co-hosts as we explore the unlikely testimonies of people from the Christian faith. As we dive into this show and explore what it means to have unlikely testimonies, I'll be starting with my own story. I think it's important for me to lay a groundwork of being willing to share my experience in the church and the results of my testimony. In 1 Peter 3.15, the Bible instructs Christians by saying, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for their hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So, as we explore the defense of people's faith, I thought it would be only fitting to begin with my own.
1: So today, I will be conducting an interview of Hannah asking her about her experiences, growing up in the church and what it's like for her to have her own unlikely testimony. So are you ready to get started? I am, yes. All right. So first off, do you want to explain a little bit more about what you mean by unlikely testimony
0: that our podcast gets its name from? Yeah, of course. I think that's a really important point to address. I think the church is really fascinated with this idea of having testimonies that unquestionably show the power and the miracles of God. They want to see something that is dramatic, so that's like being saved from drugs or an abusive relationship. Also, there's this fascination with spiritual birthdays, which I will get into more later, but the day that you're saved is supposed to be a huge deal in the Christian faith. I don't want to imply that this is bad or that this is a wrong way to approach salvation because I think God works through miracles and he does really big things in our lives. But throughout this podcast, I want to explore that testimonies are not always traumatic. In fact, some of the most dramatic testimonies are actually the outliers, and we make them the standards. I want to explore the testimonies of people that have been in the church as long as they can remember, who don't remember a time when God wasn't walking alongside them. The wisdom that we can glean from these testimonies is just as important as what we can glean from the really dramatic stories.
1: Perfect! Thank you for providing that clarification for us.
0: Absolutely! The goal of this podcast is to celebrate testimonies from all kinds of people. So I can't promise that we won't have a miracle of God show up eventually, because that's the nature of faith. I 100% agreed.
1: So as we continue, why don't you start telling us about your own background in the faith and kind of ground your unlikely testimony? What what has it been like for you?
0: Yeah, so I have a really interesting experience in the church. First, my parents weren't strong Christians, though they did both claim to be Christians, but they weren't let's wake up on Sunday morning and get ready to go to church and have a huge southern lunch when we all get home. They were the kind of parents that didn't go to church. And so my Sunday mornings looked really different. My paternal grandparents lived really close to us, and they thought since my parents were not taking us to church, that it was their duty to make sure that we were going to church and we were getting a Christian education and they themselves were incredibly strong Christians. So not only did they pay for tuition at a local private Christian school, they made it one of their conditions of paying for this school to take us to church every single Sunday. My younger sister and I would wake up and we would get ourselves ready for church. We learned fairly quickly what was acceptable church attire purely based on the commentary of our grandmother. Oh dear, that sounds interesting. (laughs) It definitely was. It was the knee-length skirts and no tank tops, absolutely nothing strapless, as you can imagine. And so when they would pick us up to church, up for church, my dad would find us some breakfast to eat, and then he and my mom would settle in for a nice morning without the kids. They probably enjoyed that. You know, I'm starting to think they might have. <laughs> but I remember waiting on the front steps for our grandparents to come pick us up and, like, feeling left out, you know? Because I wanted to be watching cartoons on Sunday morning instead of wearing an uncomfortable dress and uncomfortable shoes and having to go to a Sunday school class where I had to sit with my leg crossed over the other leg and I couldn't sit crisscross applesauce or get up and run around in circles.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that feels like the very classic part when you hear about kids who grew up in church. One of the things they always complained about is how uncomfortable it was and how they always had to dress. I
0: really don't think it was anybody's favorite part to have to do that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely not. But anyways, my church experience wasn't typical, and yet I couldn't imagine a Sunday morning without it. By 9 a.m., on the dot, my grandparents' car would pull into our driveway, and my sister and I would load ourselves in. We would go to Sunday school, and then we would, we would go to what we would call big church, but it was really just the main sermon um, that, you know, every typical Southern Baptist church The pastor gets up there and he starts yelling about hell and brimstone. And when you're eight, like, you don't really care about that part. You really just care about getting to, you know, sit with your coloring book and get the snacks passed down the aisle to you. And then we would go home. And I didn't think about church again until the next Saturday night when I realized I was waking up the next morning to put that uncomfortable dress back on. So you did mention and what I'm interested in exploring that it was a Southern Baptist
1: church and there were these kind of like fire and brimstone messages. Is that typical of your experience as you like continue to grow up in a Southern Baptist church, that they would have those kind of heavy hitting, hard messages that were like, you're all sinners. Um, And if so, how did you see that impacting your faith?
0: Yeah, I think the Southern Baptist church has a lot of room to grow but I'm not going to just come right out and say they're horrible because there's a lot of emphasis on finding redemption and atonement for sins, which almost feels kind of Catholic. But whereas the Catholic faith has systems that you can go through to earn atonement and, you know, confess your sins, the Baptist church more puts an emphasis on don't even think about sin because you'll go to hell. So, that has a huge impact on you as a kid when you know you're trying to learn about your faith and you're learning what sin is and you're learning what the sinner's prayer is of if you pray to god and you know you ask for forgiveness for your sins and he's going to give that to you but then you're told in the same hand oh but also from here on out you're not allowed to think about sin again that's that has an incredibly negative impact on your on you as you grow up in that faith And there was a lot of importance put on how to be modest. So I wouldn't be encouraged to have sex or the knee length skirts and uncomfortable clothes that you had to wear to church. Yeah. That kind of like makes sense now, doesn't it? Yeah. And you know, I needed to be prepared to get married, but I wasn't allowed to mingle with the boys. I actually remember a really specific incident where I came to Sunday school and they did Wednesday night youth group things, but I didn't really go to those. And so, you know, I'm like sitting with all of the girls and my, female seventh and eighth grade Sunday school class and our Sunday school teacher walks in and man you can tell that she's just so upset with us and this wasn't unusual for her she was a really uptight woman but she comes in and she's like guys I just I'm so disappointed in your behavior and you know you see every girl like get wide-eyed and we're all like what did we do and you know I just got there at 9 a.m I haven't done anything (laughs) I haven't had time (laughs) I haven't had time to (laughs) mess anything up and she's like, your behavior on Wednesday night was just, it was appalling.
1: So did you at least feel like you were in the clear? <laughs> yeah, I, said, I
0: said, I could sit back a little bit. And I was like, all right, I I've, I've made it out. But she had her daughter who was in the class with us come up and like, we play, they played a game of telephone Wednesday night. And, you know, telephone, you sit and you like whisper into the next person, person's ear. Well, apparently when the girls would lean up against the boys, their chest would brush against their shoulder and she made this huge deal about how like you need to be really careful and like make sure you're not getting too close to the boys and like that's super sensitive and i was just sitting there like oh my god like it was a game of telephone at youth group i really don't think they were doing anything that wrong
1: that's a very healthy and constructive way to approach that topic i'm so glad that was handled so sensitively
0: aren't you aren't you yeah and you know i outside of that story like i think their heart was in the right place because they were trying to raise young men and women in a way that they were going to fear God and respect their bodies, but it just came across the wrong way, you know? And the emphasis on how to best please God was just often misplaced and mishandled. So as you're
1: talking about like, what is the best way to please God? And that obviously is going to tie into your testimony as a Christian and how do you live and all of that stuff can you get more into your own story and what it means for you because you mentioned earlier that you feel like the dramatic stories that we hear um or have been made the norm even though that's not necessarily true so like what does it mean for you that you feel like you don't have this hugely dramatic story to tell
0: yeah it's weird because I've come, I've gone to a Christian school my entire education. I'm now at a Christian college, and you hear people talk about these really dramatic testimonies. Um, and I still remember the very first message I heard about having a testimony. Um, it was incredibly jarring and honestly really formative to the way I think about faith. The pastor at my church, I was in big church, and he's telling us about his testimony, and he creates this really poetic scene of him being 16 years old and coming home from a basketball game. And he's sitting in his front yard, leaning against a tree and looking at his house. And he feels God speaking to him in that moment and felt called to turn away from quote unquote worldly things. And he told us how he stopped drinking and partying and it was an entirely spiritual experience. And you know, that hurt so much when I was young because I'd never had what he described as a spiritual experience. I'd never heard God talking to me in that way. And for a moment there, I thought I wasn't a Christian. Because I don't even remember praying that very classic sinner's prayer of dear God, please forgive me of my sins. I want to be better. I don't remember ever saying those words. And, you know, so I'm sitting in church next to my grandparents, who are like nodding very sagely and respectfully at this pastor. And, you know, my grandfather's doing the Amen. You know, from the back, the very Baptist. And, you know, my little sister's sitting on the other side of me. She's coloring a, a Disney princess coloring book and I'm eight or 10 years old and I'm having a crisis of faith. I thought something was wrong with me. Well,
1: obviously something wasn't wrong with you. and You've moved past that crisis of faith. So how did you do that? What did that look like for you? You mean after sitting
0: through the rest of that yes. horribly jarring message, right? Naturally, <laughs> yeah. naturally. Yeah. I went home almost in tears and I ran into the living room where my parents were sitting and I essentially like gave them the first degree. So I'm asking a hundred questions about faith. And did they really know I was a Christian? And are you absolutely sure? And I don't think you're sure. And do you remember me like becoming a Christian? Like when did this happen? What day of the week was it? What time exactly? 1042 on Tuesday or 1043 on Tuesday? Cause you really needed that like conversion moment. Yeah, I did. And I thought it was so important to my faith, you know? And so after like dragging this out for as long as I can, my mom ends up telling me this story and she, you know, she frames it as this like cutesy little like, oh, well, when you were four or five on your way home from school one day, I had you in the car and you asked me how to be a Christian and we prayed and she says, and I quote, a little prayer together and that was it. You were saved. So you clearly don't remember
1: this happening to you. And did you find that answer satisfactory at
0: the time? No, absolutely not. I didn't find it satisfying. For so long, I was taught that all that faith was was a little prayer. And if you went to church every Sunday, you were doing what every Christian should do, which is then of course, contrary to what my pastor is telling me that I need this really dramatic moment of faith. And then I watched my Sunday school teacher swear up and down that faith was important, you know, but she's only attending church every Sunday. so clearly how is how important is it after that and then she would try to tell us that you know forgiving people is a necessity and sinning is bad but it's really hard to believe people in your life when you don't see them living lives like that so you know when my parents are telling me they're christians and they're never going to church it's hard for me to believe that they really were because i don't i don't know if i can trust that and in fact for a really long time the best christians i saw were at my christian school and That was the only place that I was actively learning about my faith. I was in a Bible class every single year, and it was teaching me more about how to understand my faith and who I was as a Christian than the church that was supposed to be really formative in that spiritual experience. So how did it impact
1: you very practically as you contrasted the environment of your school with the environment of your Sunday school class where you get yelled at because you brushed up against a
0: boy playing telephone? Like, what did that look like for you? Yeah, it wasn't going to be until high school that I started learning about Calvinism and the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, some of those like really critical pieces of faith of different denominations and that are taught in the Bible in some way. And anything that wasn't a part of the Baptist denomination didn't get taught to me in church. So I'm relying completely on my school at this point to come back through and teach me about what it means to be a Christian and about the different theories of faith about the different theories of revelation the different theories of salvation how we view god and my sunday school teachers are only teaching me what the baptist denomination believes, which i don't necessarily think is wrong because they were a part of the baptist denomination but also i think there could have been a bigger outreach for like how they were approaching that conversation and you know, I my junior year Bible teacher, he was a really good uh, teacher. He taught me um, world religions and theology. And of course, that's at a high school level. But, you know, I still remember sitting in class and being so astounded at all of these different theories that I'd never even heard about before.
1: So as you consider the differences between the more kind of open-minded education you were getting at your school and then what you felt like was very closed off from your church. How did that impact your relationship with the church broadly? Like, has that been a real struggle in your faith or have you been able to kind of reconcile some of those problems that you've had with the church?
0: Yeah. I think a lot of people will grow up in the church and then they get to college and they forsake their faith and they wipe their hands of it and That's a really telling moment in Christianity when, you know, a a kid grows up and he's on his own for the first time. And that's the moment that he or she decides like, okay, like this Christianity stuff, I'm done with it. Um, And I didn't do that. And I'm definitely not going to claim to be a saint because of that, because, you know, I still have so much more room to grow. And one of the big things that I've learned is just because my church told me not to think of sin doesn't mean I'm not going to sin. I'm doing that every day. I'm constantly struggling with that. And I know I'm not a finished work, but I think my faith is still really important to me, despite this closed off education that I got through my church, despite the contrast of where I saw good Christians. But, you know, for a long time, I did have a lot of imposter syndrome about being a Christian because I didn't think I was one. And if I hadn't ever prayed the prayer, could I really claim the faith as my own? And as a result of that, there was a time in my life when I was praying the sinner's prayer every day. And I thought that was the key to salvation. Like that was my ticket in. That's how I would figure it all out. But, you know, now that I think about it, I think that was really just my own fears of going to hell that were driving me to do that. Because I've just been told so many scary messages about hell is bad. You're going to die there. If you think about sin if you do the wrong things and i was driven by that fear because it had been woven into my everyday faith life and you know i just i thought like that was it like i had to be going to hell unless i was praying this prayer every day so that is
1: such a super toxic thought process to go to and so how did you like reach a point where you were no longer praying that prayer every day
0: it was something that plagued me through middle and high school, just because I didn't feel like I had that dramatic story. And, you know, I'd had crappy things happen to me. My mom was the not the best person. My dad wasn't really around, you know, but I'd never not been a Christian through that. And I think because of that, my church kind of saw me as a closed case. If I was suffering, that's okay because I was saved. But I didn't feel like that. And so it wasn't until my junior year of high school with the teacher that I mentioned before that I started claiming my faith as my own. I did a really intense study of Romans assigned to me by my teacher, but it was separate from classwork. But I think he really saw that I needed something like that. Like my faith was on shaky ground. I didn't understand salvation. And I think he really thought, hey, like this is something that could help her and help her see faith outside of this toxic thought process. And so, you know, I was really conflicted about Calvinism, which honestly probably should be another episode. It really is. <laughs> we'll never be done if you start that. Yeah, we'll, this will go on for another 45 minutes if I start on that one. But you know, I'm reading through Romans and when you're reading those first three chapters, you just see the absolute disparity that you're in before faith. And I realized that's where my heart was. I thought that I would be stuck forever in the cycle of sin and depression. But God does something really interesting there because Romans gets better and Paul gets to show us that through God's transformation our hearts are truly changed by the Lord and we are made better people and that was absolutely amazing to me. I might not have some catchy testimony but I have a transformed heart. So
1: as you've been walking through your faith You've really seen that it's more about the heart transformation is the essential tenet of faith rather than the story
0: surrounding the transformation of your heart. Yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't say like that is the tenet of faith for me, but it's definitely one of them. God changes the motivations of our hearts. And when we experience that we should want to change our lives, that's when we start to do that. And we change them drastically. So we should want to be completely different people, and we should act on that desire. And even if I didn't have the best church experience, I knew that. It was why I was so uncomfortable when people preached one thing and then refused to act like it. Okay, so what are some other essential tenets of faith for you then? Surrounding ourselves with people of faith. Ultimately, I had to leave the church that I grew up in. They helped plant that seed of faith that God was able to grow in me through teachers at my high school, But they weren't the Christian people I needed. They focused too heavily on this idea of being perfect. So while Christians are striving for a life of little sin, we all know that we can't be completely free of sin. We're human, and ultimately that's the curse of mortality. We won't be perfect. We'll let negative emotions get the best of us. We'll succumb to temptation. But God is changing our hearts, and we want that. So we seek out a community that helps us support that in our new faith. And I really think God did that for me when he brought me to Lee University to go to college and get an education here.
1: And how have you seen that specifically show up at Lee? Has it been a really different environment from your church growing up and more like your school?
0: Or has it been something different altogether, but still really good? I think it's been something different altogether because I wasn't alone in my growing. God knew that I needed people that were emotionally intelligent, ones that can push me to grapple with my emotions, but in a healthy manner. He knows that I need people that are struggling with questions of faith, and that doesn't mean struggling in a way of, oh my goodness, if God doesn't answer this, I'm losing my faith. That means I have this question for God, and I'm spending time in my Bible, in prayer, and with trusted individuals to find the answer. I'm in an Enneagram 5, so if that means anything to anyone, you know I'm constantly looking for answers. I have an insatiable curiosity. My church growing up didn't want me asking questions that might contradict with denominational doctrine. They wanted me to be assured that my faith was set in stone. So when I had that crisis about Calvinism, you know, my denomination wasn't too thrilled with that. (laughs) That's shocking. Yeah, isn't it? (laughs) But just because I have questions, it doesn't mean I'm losing my faith. And when I find that authority figures are trying to stifle my questions, it makes me all the more curious and I'm dying to know the answer. So I know that God wants me to surround myself with people that will help me explore those big questions. So who are some of those people for you? My mentors in my life. I talk a lot about my old resident director, Hannah White.
1: Never heard of her.
0: Never heard of her. You never heard of me talk about her once. She's honestly a part of my daily rhetoric. But she's constantly pushing me to explore those questions even if i can't answer them in the moment she asks me questions that leave me thinking for the rest of the day and i also explore faith with a lot of my close friends my high school best friend amanda actually did the roman study with me and that was really formative for our friendship because we could sit and we would come to school in the mornings and you know, we're sitting at the cafeteria tables, and all all the other kids are talking about, like, you know, stupid high school things, I don't know, drama, and we're sitting across the table going, did you get through the end of chapter three last night? Oh my goodness, like, can you believe that? And it was so formative for the way that we thought about faith together. And then, of course, me and you spend a lot of time on these questions, because we have really different interpretations of what, you know, Christians would call these gray areas. Yeah, we do. Yeah, and I think, like, my ability to be able to talk about that with you has actually been really good for my faith because it pushes me to see another perspective and not to close myself off and go well i of course have the right answer so that's that you know well i think it's also been really good for our
1: friendship because we can enter those really difficult conversations openly and
0: walk out understanding we may not ultimately agree but that's okay right and god knew that i needed people like that and i think he's just you know pushing me towards that the further into my faith that i get so as we finish out this interview do you want to wrap
1: up and talk about how all of this ties into your idea of testimony and like what does it mean for you that all of this is your unlikely testimony
0: yeah i think testimonies are lived out every day when i've told people my testimony in the past i spend talking time talking about the moments that i could feel god's presence in my life you know the really big things when a death would happen in the family or something really traumatic would happen. But, you know, I feel his presence a lot more than just a traumatic incident. He's with me all the time, every single day, every minute of the day. And my testimony follows me every day. I get up and I try my best to live the life of a Christian. I try to be what he wants me to be. I try to find the good in life. And sometimes I think that's all we can do. Well, Hannah, thank you so much
1: for sharing and kicking off this series of our podcast with this interview.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Unlikely Testimonies. Tune in next time to hear
1: my story as we reverse this whole thing and Hannah interviews me. Can't wait to see you then. Bye, guys.